0: Mr. Barnabas Grayson, and the title of his is Cost of Discipleship. Good afternoon, everyone. It's already that time of year, isn't it? Springtime, Passover coming up, days of unleavened bread. Springtime can be pretty exhilarating. You see, uh, go by these pastures in the field and you see them calves and lambs and all sorts of animals just frisking along, running, hopping along. I think it's because, you know, when things turn more green, there's a lot more oxygen in the air, so it fills you with that exhilaration. Anyway, it's that time of year again, and, uh, you know, when the birds sing and all of these things that you see in springtime, you're planting a garden, perhaps, wind blowing in your face, and, uh, It's just that time of year, just so quick, it seems like, from, you know, the past where we've had all the ice and all the storms that we were having, the snow and things. Today, I'd like to talk about the cost of discipleship. What is the cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Over in the book of uh, Matthew chapter uh, 13, I didn't give this to you, uh, Brian, but I just want to refer to this. In verse 45, it says that the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we see that this uh, finding this uh, goodly pearl required a cost that he was willing to spend in order to secure that one goodly pearl. And we see that this was a cost involved. He was looking for, and what this means to us is a spiritual treasure that he was willing to sacrifice something of value for. And we see that this merchant was a a seeker. He is seeking these goodly pearls. Find my place here. I probably lost it since I didn't put it down. But it does require something of ours you know, to pay the cost. When you go to a store someplace, you see something there you like, you inquire about the cost. And you're either, you know, willing to shell out or just willing to sort of pass it by. But s- some things require a cost. But let's go to Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. It says there, for which of you intending to build a tower or maybe a barn or, or something else? Sits not down first and counts the cost. Whether he have sufficient to finish it. You've got to sit down first and you've got to calculate what it's going to cost. To see if you have enough to complete it. So following Christ is serious business. Requiring the counting of cost. And that's so because in verse 26 it says if any man come to me. And hate not his father. and We know that to mean love less his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, including all of those uh, family relationships, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So, that's because, you know, such people have different ideas, philosophies about life, influences in their life. They may not see Christ's uh, values, or his teaching, or his faith. So, there's going to be, and bound to be, divisive things. Verse 27 And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, whatever the variance might be that might hold a person back, it's just going to mean just what we say sucking it up and just going on no matter what. Luke chapter 9 and verse 57 there are some examples of what it is meant what is meant to some in counting the cost verse 57 it came to pass that as they went in the way a certain man said unto him Lord I will follow you wh- 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 whithersoever you go so here was a man who was offering himself as a servant or for serv- for his service and he wanted to throw his hat in the ring following Christ looked attractive He must have seen and heard all of the miracles of what Christ was doing, seen his following and his influence, and he wanted to get on board. And it may have looked easy to him, but Christ must have known that this man was accustomed to the conveniences that he had, the comforts that he had, that his position earned him. And he told the man that things would be different for him if he were to follow him not that he was discouraging him but he was making it known that there is a cost because as I said uh, it's serious business Jesus said unto him in verse 58 he told him he said foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head so he was making it known to the man to expect inconveniences and that the dearest ties that he had to life May have to come undone. So we see that personal sacrifice is involved. And you count the cost of uh, being a disciple of Christ. Now, as I said, this was not to discourage the man's desire because Christ did come to save sinners. But he had to let him know that he must count the cost. So, as we know, in becoming a Christian, Things would be different. Things have been different in our life. And for there are some things that must be given up. We can think back to uh, our own um, example, our own experience of the things that we have had to give up. In some cases it has cost us family, maybe a mate, children, friends and family or jobs or, or other interests. So in those days when Christ spoke these words, there was persecution aimed at Christ and his followers. He came into his own, but his own received it not, it says, because his religion was different from that of the Pharisees who uh, had influence in, in the community, who had their own way of worship, their custom and their rituals. And so the faith that Christ taught would go against those beliefs of the many in the community including families and there would be challenges so falling Christ is serious business or else why would the Apostle Paul advise us that we must daily put on the whole armor of God in our life you read that over in Ephesians 6 so that means that we are entering a fight we're entering a struggle that is spiritual in nature Now, that prospect, of course, did not deter us. And it does not deter anyone who has sins to give up in return for for great joy and for great salvation. So we see in verse 57 where this one has offered his services and volunteers himself to go with Christ. But as the book of Matthew tells, he was like the rich man who had a lot to give up. And so he went away sorrowful but who knows there were many like that who counted the cost and and thought well I'm not ready to give it up I'm not ready to really pay the price and so maybe later on they fell down or they slipped somehow and they faltered in, in, in the things that they trusted in and finally had to repent and commit to following Jesus Christ in verse 59 and he said unto another follow me so he was telling this one man to follow me directly, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. So this man put off his call, that direct call of Jesus Christ, put it off until his, his father died. He had to go and take care of him uh, until then. That's how some expositors see that situation, but others believe that the old man was, was already dead, and that it was a Jewish custom to mourn for seven days before the dead was buried. In another view, that the statement was a way of postponing the decision. But either way, the calling of Christ was now for this man. There could be no waiting. In verse 60, so Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. This verse might be a little puzzling. Obviously a dead person cannot do anything. So it's interpreted that Christ is suggesting the, that event be put in the hands of maybe the undertakers. Or as others interpret the, this response of Christ. To let the dead bury the dead as a proverb that essentially means to do first things first. Go and preach the kingdom of God. But Jesus wanted this man. To go and preach. That's what it says. And join him and the others in in this gospel. Even at the cost of of, uh, having normal uh, family duties put on hold. Christ called this man to service. But he had something else to do. Verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. I will follow you. But... Let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. He offers his service. He said, "I will follow you." But he puts Christ on hold, and Jesus said unto him, "No man, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God." So once you decide you want to, uh, you want to press on. Don't look back. So Christ saw perhaps a risk in this man going back saying goodbye to his family because there would have been the likelihood of them maybe talking him out of it and discouraging him from following Christ. So we see that when you put your hands to the plow, we have this agricultural uh, scenario where we have this farmer who's pushing the plow behind the oxen, perhaps, or whatever, but he's making these straight furrows. But if he looks behind him, those furrows are going to become crooked. They're not going to go straight, and it's going to be uh, not look good in his field, and some of his crop may not grow. So the farmer has to keep looking ahead. He can't look back. Once he puts his hand to the plow, he's got to keep on going until it's all done, until the work is done. Because if he misses uh, his He's going to miss the mark if, he, if he, uh, his furrows are going to be crooked. So once we are committed to Christ, we have to keep on plowing. If we don't stop, if we do, however, you know, letting down in prayer and Bible study, of those things that make for, uh, you know, building grace and love in our life, casting out leaven and so on, the lure of those things that we left behind, we might want to go back to. Looking back. As we remember, Lot's wife, she looked back. So we can't look back. Our attitude has to be one of looking forward and looking to Jesus Christ. And that's how we get beyond and above the trials that we face, knowing that there is the kingdom of God that we've been called uh, to enter and to be witnesses of. In John 16, Christ told his disciples, In verse 32. Behold the hour comes. Yeah is now come. That you shall be scattered. Every man to his own. And shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone. Because the father is with me. You know when we see that Christ. He withstood all of these things. A lot by himself. Praying daily. Praying with tears that he won't fall or falter. Because he had us in mind. As he kept doing the, the will of God for our sake so even though his disciples were scattered every man to his own left him alone he said yet I am not alone because the father is with me even in our life sometimes when we feel like we are alone facing whatever trial that comes along in our life we might feel everyone's forsaken me they've gone they're doing their own thing And I'm all alone. But here's here's the the key right here. I am not alone. The Father is with me. So we keep that in mind. We can overcome the trials and adversities we face. Verse uh, 33. These things I have spoken unto you. That in me you might have peace. Those words that we just read. Because the Father is with me. We say that too these things I have spoken unto you that you might have peace in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world so you know it's obvious in this world we do have tribulation troubles challenges obstacles to our aim in Christ and and to the kingdom of God they come along sometimes unexpectedly sometimes we see them coming but in this world Christ said, you shall have tribulation. So following Christ can be serious business because when you count the cost, you've got to realize that there are going to be adversities that could make you falter if you aren't determined to follow Christ. But these passages that we have read concerning Christ's calling to count the cost of giving up certain things should not really infer that he is oblivious to the deep and loving ties of family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5. In verse 8 it says. If any provide not for his own. And especially for those of his own house. He has denied the faith. And is worse than an infidel. So Christ knew how much. Whole a family can have. On how you live your life. On how you think. Your attitude and so on. But the point is. First things first. In obedience to God. In Luke chapter 2. Started at verse 45, but here we see where Christ was growing. He was waxing strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was, was on him. But now his parents, they went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, uh, as they returned, Jesus, the child Jesus, tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother didn't know it. But they supposing him to be in the company of them. Went a day's journey. Long way off. And then they began to inquire uh, among their kinfolk and acquaintances. Have you seen Jesus? We we haven't seen him. And when they found him not. They turned back to Jerusalem to look for him. Verse 45. And verse 46. And it came to pass that after three days. They found him in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the doctors. Both hearing them. And asking them questions. Three days in the temple. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why have you dealt with us? Dealt with us like that. Behold, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. We were worried. We didn't know where you were. We are anxious. We were in a panic. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? But you know they didn't understand the saying which he spoke unto them at that time. But he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Sometimes you know mothers, you know, they they keep things in their heart. They worry over things perhaps, but there are some deep things that they think about. And he, she kept these things, sayings in her heart. But Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Because in spite of knowing who he was as the son of God, he chose to live in submission to Mary and Joseph as his parents. In Matthew uh, chapter 10... You know, Christ said the the very hairs of your hair or your head are numbered. They're all counted. Meaning he knows, of course, everything about us. And then he says to fear you not, you're of more value than sparrows. And even they are counted. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father, which is in heaven. But, he says, whosoever shall disown me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. And in verse 34, he says, think not that I am come to uh, send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. So counting the cost means full commitment to Christ, even if it means going against family wishes. In verse 39, He that finds his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So we all need wisdom to decide when there are matters before us that are important. We all need to have wisdom and advice as to how to approach a certain decision or a situation that comes along in our life. If we are committed to Christ, we have to go the way that he wants us to go. And we realize that Christ gave his life for us. And at this time of year, this becomes a lot more apparent because he gave his life for you and for me. And the saying, of course, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you and for me. And he calls us friends if we do whatsoever he commands. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why call you me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Well, you shall do no murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And the young man, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. And the young man said unto him, well, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What what lack I? Jesus said, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's because the man's possession, his wealth was greater than the calling of God. His wealth, his possessions came first. Verse 24, And again I say unto you, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. Because they said, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them. And he said unto them, with men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. So we read where Peter said that uh, we've forsaken all and followed you. What shall we have therefore? And Christ said unto them, truly I say unto you, that you which have followed me. In the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Verse 29. And everyone that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit an everlasting life. So we see how it is important to count the cost. What will you be willing to give up so on? We see how serious the business of following Christ can be. But then great are the joys of the salvation that is to come. That uh, is ahead in our future. At this time of year, we need to be reminded that we are to be in a foot washing attitude. In biblical times in Palestine, uh, foot washing was an act of hospitality for for guests who came in off the dusty roads. You know, with those open-toed or open sandals, dirt all over their feet. But usually it was performed by a a servant of the host at the arrival of the guest or as they sat at at the table. In Luke 7, one of the Pharisees there wanted Christ to come uh, dine with him, to eat with him. And so he, Christ went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to food and to eat. And behold, there was this woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus was uh, uh, dining, with, dining in the Pharisee's house, she, she brought this alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment so when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it he spoke within himself saying this man if he were a prophet if he knew would have known who and what manner this is that touches him for she is a sinner and Jesus answering said unto him in verse 40 said Simon I have some, something to say unto you and he said master say on There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, you have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and he said unto Simon, you see this woman I entered into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her, of her head. So we see the emotion of this woman at the feet of Jesus Christ. And he said in verse 45, You gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint. But this woman has anointed my head with ointment. Wherefore I say unto you. Her sins. Which are many. Are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven. The same loveth little. And he said unto this woman. He said unto her. Your sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him. began to say within themselves. Who is this that forgives sins also? And he said to the woman that was there, that washed his feet with her tears, her hair. He said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't think about it. You're forgiven. Be, have peace of mind now. You know, in the ancient sacrificial ceremonies, the feet of the lamb were washed. And... Christ, before his sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, had his feet washed by the woman who looked to him with tears in her eyes. All the sadness of all those sins that she had. From all the wrongs she had done, looked for the Savior's forgiveness. In Psalm 147, it says in verse 3 that he heals the broken in heart and he binds up their wounds. You know, physically we we uh, we're healed by the scars that we get, in physical life, but sometimes there are mental scars, spiritual scars, that you know due to, to a broken heart for things we've done. Christ said he, he binds up those wounds. He heals the broken in heart. So foot washing is a humble service, one that shows humility, and Christ used it to show his disciples how they should be toward one another. And we express, it, we express that in our love for Christ and each other. And even John the Baptist must have known of, of this service. Mark 1, he said, in verse 7, he said, he was preaching and he said, There comes one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rose from supper and laid his, aside his garments, and he took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. So you have to kind of picture this. He takes this picture of water. And you hear it pouring into this basin. You see him wrapped with a towel. And you wonder what's, what's, what's coming about. So he came to uh, Simon Peter. And Peter uh, said unto him. Do you wash my feet? You know perhaps in a questioning tone. Lord do you wash my feet? You know Peter he had watched the others. Allow Christ to do this humble service. And at that moment he must not have understood for he held Christ in a high high position, in high esteem and beneath such lowly service. So he was reluctant to let Christ wash his feet. And in verse 7, Jesus answered, said unto him, what I do you know not now, but you shall know hereafter. Peter said unto him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, this is serious. If I wash not, if, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. So Peter changed his mind right away, and Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not to save, except to wash his feet. But is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all, because he knew who was going to betray him. In verse twelve, so after he had washed their feet. And had taken his garments and was set down again. He said unto them, You know what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things. Happy are you. If you do them. So we know what the foot washing service means. To each and every one of us personally. I kind of wish that I had uh, kept a, uh, a uh, list of all those whose feet I washed. Or whose feet you know. Who washed my feet. My ugly feet. But. Uh, I do remember, if I, my memory doesn't fail me this time, as it usually does, I know Sean was my. we washed each other's feet last, last year, and there's a, a connection at that time, because I know that the Spirit of God is in him, and he knows that the Spirit of God is in me, and that Holy Spirit is, is the tie that binds all of us in this, in this foot-washing attitude. Psalm 34 tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. In verse 11 of Psalm 34, Come you children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life? Do you desire life? We all desire life, don't we? And loves many days, that we all want many days, that he may see good. Not evil, but to see good. Keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, and do good. Seek peace, and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all of their troubles. And the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And he saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Just like that woman that came and washed the feet of Christ with her tears had this severely broken heart. And Christ, in an assuring way, told her to go in peace. She's forgiven. But many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, delivers them out of all, all of them. So there is a cost to discipleship. And we can look to the example of the Apostle Paul. Paul. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, in Acts 26, in verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, knew all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straitest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Philippians 3, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuted, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So we know that the Apostle Paul could have stayed a Pharisee. He could have become a famous and an influential lawyer, but he chose not to. He gave it up. He was a proponent for that particular way of life, for that Pharisee way of life. But in verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord. Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made, unconf- being made conformable unto his death. And if by means I might attain unto the righteousness of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may ap- apprehend for that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. A lot of words that take kind of an in-depth meditation to know exactly what Christ is talking about. Verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And I press toward, he said, the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, so let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Let us walk. Oh, if any, if, and if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Back to Luke chapter fourteen, uh, verse sixteen. We have here one of the men who listened to Christ's words, and he said. Uh, Christ was saying, when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and ye shall be blessed. That's because they can't return the favor, but ye shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And so this man said, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And now in verse 16, then said he unto unto him, a certain man made a great supper, a great supper, and he, he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well I've bought this piece of ground. I've got this land. I need to go and see about it. I pray, uh, uh, I'm sorry but I can't come. Have me excused. And another said, well I've bought five yoke of oxen and I got to go prove them. I pray you have me excused. And another said, "I, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come." You understand, right? So the servant came and showed his lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, "Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the, more, the poor, the maimed, and the halt, and the blind." And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded. And yet there's, there's still some room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So there is a calling. You count the cost. Are you going to put Christ off for the things that you have? You know, we have to make the right decision all based on wisdom. So th- these who were called had other things to do. They didn't feel the urge or they didn't feel the need. And, and there were those who were called and who had need then because of the varying troubles that they had in their life. Being blind or being lame. Even then there was still room. And the call went out for whoever was willing to bear the cost of being a disciple verse 25, there were great uh, multitudes with him. And he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me, once again we read, Who hates not his father and mother, someone cannot be my disciple. So he reminded them in this to count the cost. I won't go through uh, the rest of those scriptures, but to, down to verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be seasoned? So once it is decided to be the disciple. After counting the cost. You can't let down. Verse 35. Because it is neither fit for the land. Nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that has ears to hear. Let him hear. So we know that we are called to bear fruit. To bear the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. As we can look in Galatians chapter 5. To have those things and to have them grow in abundance. We may not be the great evangelists and saving souls, so to speak. But it is our life that is to shine in to show uh, others our good works. That we are of the Lord. So following Christ can be every day a, a challenge. But God calls us to that. He calls us to do those things in our job at school, among friends, among family, among each other. So wherever and whenever we are out and about, this is what we should do is to bear those fruits. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be you transformed. By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good. And acceptable and perfect will of God. And for that for I say. Through the grace given unto me. To every man that is among you. Not to think of himself more highly. Than he ought to think. But to think soberly. According as God has dealt to every man. The measure of faith. So we we need to be careful. To not think that we have arrived having done this or the other. Because uh, there are still some trying times that are ahead. We only have to you know, look at the world and see just how deep some of the trouble that this world is in. That this society is in. And we know that he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus ransomed us from the death penalty. He bore our sins to the tree he called and so here we are today and the road ahead may not be as easy as it may seem today from the comfort you know of, of the church building or the or, or our home because this age is undergoing all sorts of evils it's a babylon of confusion and falsehoods that we are to come out of come out of her my people he said it says a word be not ye partakers of of her sins. And the love of many it says shall wax cold. And you may have seen the news of this five year old uh, boy. Who is nearly starved to death. Very emaciated. How parents can let their children suffer like that. Very, uh, there are a lot of heartless examples. That we can go through. This is the world that we live in. And Christ is saying come out of her my people, and we will someday, when he comes back to establish true and lasting peace on earth, and forgive with forgiveness, you know, Moses, in Hebrews 11, when he was come to years, he refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, there would have been a lot of, you know, things to uh, do in that relationship, But he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, even if it were for season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So he knew that that Christ was the Logos, that he was the spokesman of the Old Testament. He was the I Am. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt and and, uh, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So by faith we choose to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and and we've counted the cost. It's not exactly uh, sure to us how or when This world will start to quake. Politically. And uh, all of the natural catastrophes that might come along. But God who called us. And Christ assures us that he will never leave or or forsake us. Revelation 2 verse 10. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Which you shall suffer. Behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you might be tried and you shall have tribulation ten days and this is one of the letters to the churches who are going to undergo various things but be you faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life so we're not to be slothful or unprofitable verse 25 we know that the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country Who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he you know he gave him five talents. Another to another two and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey went on. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded. With the same and made them increase it five more. And likewise these other two increased it double double their talents and so on. But there was one who digged into the earth. And he hid his Lord's money. And I suppose if those. Uh, that the, those people that. There's a program called the diggers. They're digging around. And they. Uh, they scoop this dirt off. And uh, they go crazy. They do sermons. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But I, it's crazy. And they spot this roundness. <laughs> a coin. It indicates some kind of a, a coin or something. But. This man here. hid his. You know it's just, it's just a story. But he dug a hole. Put it where he thought it would be safe. But after a long time. Uh, the Lord of those servants came back. And reckoned with each and every one of them. And so. He that had received the first uh, five talents. Brought other five talents. Saying Lord you delivered me five talents. And look I've gained five talents more. And each one of those others. He asked, what, what have you done with the talents? And they showed him their, their gain. And so he says to them in verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over, over five things. I will make you ruler over many things. So when he came to the man that had the one talent, he, uh, he said, Lord, I, I, knew, uh, I knew that you are a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown. And gathering where you have not strawed. Uh, And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the earth. Lo, here, you have; you can have what is yours. And the Lord answered him and said, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. You ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. While there is a cost, we know that in the end, it adds up to grace and salvation. And perhaps this man just didn't have the ability or or know-how. The least he could have done, perhaps, was to give it to someone to support that person and what they were doing. And then there would be an increase. Revelation 21, 7, he that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I usually try to keep my sermons to at least 45 minutes. I may have gone over. But uh, uh, in conclusion, Matthew 25 again. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. And all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon his throne of glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall... Set the sheep on his right hand. But the goats on his left. Then. Shall the king say unto them on his right hand. Come you blessed. Of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation. Of the world. So we see. That there is a cost. And. There are many costs. To being a disciple. But when you think about it. Isn't it all worth it?